Chapter One of the Dragon of Wantley: His Tale by Owen Wister. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One: How Sir Godfrey Came to Lose His Temper. There was something wrong in the cellar at Wantley Manor. Little Whelpdale knew it, for he was Buttons, and Buttons always knows what is being done with the wine, though he may look as if he did not. And old Popham knew it, too. He was butler, and responsible to Sir Godfrey for all the brandy, and ale, and cider, and mead, and canary, and other strong waters there were in the house. Now, Sir Godfrey de Sison, fourth baron of Wantley, and immediate tenant by night service to His Majesty King John of England, was particular about his dogs, and particular about his horses, and about his only daughter and his boy Roland, and had been very particular indeed about his wife, who, I am sorry to say, did not live long. But all this was nothing to the fuss he made about his wine. When the claret was not warm enough, or the Mosel wine was not cool enough, you could hear him roaring all over the house. For, though generous in heart and a staunch churchman, he was immoderately choleric. Very often, when Sir Godfrey fell into one of his rages at dinner, old Popham, standing behind his chair, trembled so violently that his calves would shake loose, thus obliging him to hasten behind the tall leathern screen at the head of the banquet hall and readjust them. Twice in each year the baron sailed over to France, where he visited the wine-merchants and tasted samples of all new vintages, though they frequently gave him unmentionable aches. Then, when he was satisfied that he had selected the soundest and richest, he returned to Wantley Manor, bringing home wooden casks that were as big as haystacks, and so full they could not gurgle when you tipped them. Upon arriving, he sent for Mrs. Mistletoe, the family governess and, for economy's sake, housekeeper, who knew how to write, something the baron's father and mother had never taught him when he was a little boy, because they didn't know how themselves, and despised people who did. And when Mrs. Mistletoe had cut neat pieces of cardboard for labels, and got ready her goose-quill, Sir Godfrey would say, Write Chateau Lafitte, 1187, or Write Chamberton, 1203. Those, you know, were the names and dates of the vintages. Yes, my lord, Mistletoe always piped up, on which Sir Godfrey would peer over her shoulder at the writing and mutter, Hm, yes, that's correct, just as if he knew how to read, the old humbug. Then Mistletoe, who was a silly girl, and had lost her husband early, would go, Tee-hee, Sir Godfrey, as the gallant gentleman gave her a kiss. Of course, this was not just what he should have done, but he was a widower, you must remember, and besides that, as the years went on, this little ceremony ceased to be kept up. When it was Chateau Lafitte 1187, kissing Mistletoe was one thing. But when it came to Chamberton 1203, the lady weighed 225 pounds and wore a wig. 
But, wig and all, Mistletoe had a high position in Wantley Manor. The household was conducted on strictly feudal principles. Nobody except the members of the family received higher consideration than did the old governess. She and the chaplain were on a level, socially, and they sat at the same table with the baron. That drew the line. Old Popham the butler might tell little Whelpdale as often as he pleased that he was just as good as Mistletoe, but he had to pour out Mistletoe's wine for her, notwithstanding. If she scolded him, which she always did if Sir Godfrey had been scolding her, do you suppose he dared to answer back? Gracious, no! He merely kicked the two head footmen, Meason and Wellsby, and spoke severely to the nine housemaids. Meason and Wellsby then made life a painful thing for the five underfootmen and the grooms, while the nine housemaids boxed the ears of Whelpdale the buttons, and Whelpdale the buttons punched the scullion's eye. As for the scullion, he was bottom of the list, but he could always relieve his feelings by secretly pulling the tails of Sir Godfrey's two tame ravens, whose names were Croak James and Croak Elizabeth. I never knew what these birds did at that, but something you may be sure. So you see that I was right when I said the household was conducted on strictly feudal principles. The cook had a special jurisdiction of her own, and everybody was more or less afraid of her. Whenever Sir Godfrey had come home with new wine, and after the labels had been pasted on the casks, then Popham, with Whelpdale beside him, had these carefully set down in the cellar, which was a vast dim room, the ceilings supported by heavy arches. The barrels, bins, kegs, hogsheads, tons, and demijohns of every size and shape standing like forests and piling to the ceiling. And now something was wrong there. "'This here's a hawful circumstance, sir,' observed Whelpdale the Buttons to his superior respectfully. "'It is indeed a himbroglio,' replied Popham, who had a wide command of words, and knew it. Neither domestic spoke again for some time. They were seated in the buttery. The butler crossed his right leg over his left, and waved the suspended foot up and down, something he seldom did unless very grievously perturbed. As for poor little Whelpdale, he mopped his brow with the napkins that were in a basket, waiting for the wash. Then the bell rang. "'His lordship's study-bell,' said Popham. "'Don't keep him waiting.' "'Hadn't you better apprise his lordship of the facts?' asked Whelpdale, in a weak voice. Popham made no reply. He arose and briefly kicked buttons out of the buttery. Then he mounted a chair to listen better. He has entered his lordship's apartment, he remarked, hearing the sound of voices come faintly down the little private staircase that led from Sir Godfrey's study to the buttery. The baron was in the habit of coming down at night for crackers and cheese before he went to bed. Presently one voice grew much louder than the other. It questioned. There came a sort of whining in answer. Then came a terrific stamp on the ceiling, and a loud, "'Go on, sir!' "'Now, now, now,' thought Popham. 
Do you want to hear at once, without waiting any longer, what little Whelpdale is telling Sir Godfrey? Well, you must know that for the past thirteen years, ever since 1190, the neighborhood had been scourged by a terrible dragon. The monster was covered with scales, and had a long tail and huge, unnatural wings, besides fearful jaws that poured out smoke and flame whenever they opened. He always came at dead of night, roaring, bellowing, and sparkling, and flaming over the hills, and horrid claps of thunder were very likely to attend his progress. Concerning the nature and quality of his roaring, the honest copyholders of Wantley could never agree, although every human being had heard him hundreds of times. Some said it was like a mad bull, only much louder and worse. Old Gaffer Piers, the ploughman, swore that if his tomcat weighed a thousand pounds it would make a noise almost as bad as that on summer nights, with the moon at the full and other cats handy. But Farmer Stiles said, Nay, tis like none of your bulls nor cats, but when I have come home too near the next morning my wife can make me think of this dragon as soon as ever her mouth be open. This shows you that there were diverse opinions. If you were not afraid to look out of the window about midnight, you could see the sky begin to look red in the quarter from which he was approaching, just as it glares when some distant house is on fire but you must shut the window and hide before he came over the hill, for very few that had looked upon the dragon ever lived to that day twelve month. This monster devoured the substance of the tenantry and yeomen. When their fields of grain were golden for the harvest, in a single night he cut them down and left their acres blasted by his deadly fire. He ate the cows, the sheep, the poultry, and at times even sucked eggs. Many pious saints had visited the district, but not one had been able by his virtue to expel the dragon, and the farmers and country folk used to repeat a legend that said the dragon was a punishment for the great wickedness of the baron's ancestor, the original Sir Godfrey de Sison, who, when summoned on the first crusade to Palestine, had entirely refused to go and help his cousin Godfrey de Bouillon wrest the holy sepulchre from the Paynim. The baron's ancestor, when a stout young lad, had come over with William the Conqueror, and you must know that to have an ancestor who had come over with William the Conqueror was in those old days a much rarer thing than it is now, and any one who could boast of it was held in high esteem by his neighbors who asked him to dinner and left their cards upon him continually. But the first Sir Godfrey thought one conquest was enough for any man, and in reply to his cousin's invitation to try a second, answered in his blunt Norman French, Nul til verta dando siet oil, which displeased the church and ended forever all relations between the families. The dragon did not come at once, for this gentleman's son, the grandfather of our Sir Godfrey, as soon as he was twenty-one, went off to the Holy Land himself, fought very valiantly, and was killed, leaving behind him at Wantley 
an inconsolable little wife and an heir six months old. This somewhat appeased the Pope, but the present Sir Godfrey, when asked to accompany King Richard Lionheart on his campaign against the infidel, did not avail himself of the opportunity to set the family right in the matter of crusades. This hereditary impiety, which the Pope did not consider at all mended by the baron's most regular attendance at the parish church on all Sundays, feast-days, fast-days, high-days, low-days, saints-days, vigils, and octaves, nor by his paying his tithes punctually to Father Anselm, abbot of oyster le a wonderful person, of whom I shall have a great deal to tell you presently, this impiety, I say, finished the good standing of the house of Wantley. Rome frowned, the earth trembled, and the dragon came. And, the legend went on to say, this curse would not be removed until a female lineal descendant of the first Sir Godfrey, a young lady who had never been married and had never loved anybody except her father and mother and her sisters and brothers, should go out in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve all by herself and encounter the dragon single-handed. Now, of course, this was not what little Whelpdale is trying to tell the baron up in the study, for everybody in Wantley knew all about the legend except one person, and that was Miss Elaine, Sir Godfrey's only daughter, eighteen years old at the last court of Pipudra, when her father, after paying all the farmers for all the cows and sheep they told him had been eaten by the dragon since the last court, had made his customary proclamation, to wit, his good will and protection to all his tenantry, and if any man, woman, child, or other person caused his daughter, Miss Elaine, to hear anything about the legend, such tale-bearer should be chained to a tree and kept fat until the dragon found him and ate him. So everybody obligingly kept the baron's secret. Sir Godfrey is just this day returned from France, with some famous tons of wine, and presents for Elaine and Mrs. Mistletoe. His humour is, or was, till Whelpdale, poor wretch, answered the bell, of the best possible. And now, this moment, he is being told by the luckless Buttons that the dragon of Wantley has taken to drinking, as well as eating, what does not belong to him, has for the last three nights burst the big gates of the wine-cellar that open on the hillside the manor stands upon, that a hogshead of the baron's best burgundy is going, and that two hogsheads of his choicest malvoisie are gone one hundred and twenty-eight gallons in three nights' work. But I suppose a fire-breathing dragon must be very thirsty. There was a dead silence in the study overhead, and old Popham's calves were shaking loose as he waited. And so you stood by and let this black, sneaking, prowling, thieving— here the baron used some shocking expressions which I shall not set down— Dragon, swill my wine? St 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 stood by your lordship, 
said little Whelpdale. "'No, no, sir, no, no one didn't do no standing by, sir. He roared that terrible, sir. We was all under the bed.' "'Now buy my coat of mail and great right leg,' shouted Sir Godfrey. The quaking Popham heard no more. The door of the private staircase flew open with a loud noise, and down came little Whelpdale head over heels into the buttery. After him strode Sir Godfrey in full mail armor, clashing his steel fists against the banisters. The nose-piece of his helmet was pushed up to allow him to speak plainly, and most plainly did he speak, I can assure you, all the way down the stairs, keeping his right eye glaring upon Popham in one corner of the buttery, and at the same time petrifying Whelpdale with his left. From father to son, the Decisons had always been famous for the manner in which they could straddle their eyes, and in Sir Godfrey the family trait was very strongly marked. Arrived at the bottom, he stopped for a moment to throw a ham through the stained-glass window, and then made straight for Popham. But the head butler was an old family servant, and had learned to know his place. With surprising agility he hopped on a table, so that Sir Godfrey's foot flew past its destined goal, and caught a shelf that was loaded with a good deal of his wedding china. The baron was far too dignified a person to take any notice of this mishap, and he simply strode on, out of the buttery, and so through the halls of the manor, where all who caught even the most distant sight of his coming promptly withdrew into the privacy of their apartments. End of chapter 1